This morning, God's Word comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John 6. We will begin our reading at verse 47 and then read through verse 59 of this chapter. John 6, beginning at verse 47, what we hear now is God's Word. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father." So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back section of the Trinity Psalter hymnal, to page 885 in the back, as this morning I'll read for you the questions and answers from Lord's Day 29. Reading from page 885, question 78. Do the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? The answer, no. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood and does not itself wash away sins, but is simply a divine sign and assurance of these things, so too the holy bread of the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, even though it is called the body of Christ, in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. Question 79. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood, and Paul uses the words, a participation in Christ's body and blood? Christ has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us that just as bread and wine nourish the temporal life, so too his crucified body and poured out blood 
are the true food and drink of our souls for eternal life. But more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance, and that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. Well, we are this morning continuing in that section of the Heidelberg Catechism dealing with the Lord's Supper. Uh, we took note that this is uh, proportionally one of the longest sections of the Catechism. Uh, three Lord's Days dealing just with the nature of the Lord's Supper. And these three Lord's Days containing some of the longest questions and answers in the catechism. I suggested that perhaps if we were writing a catechism today, uh, the Lord's Supper might not get such uh, expansive treatment. We would spend time writing about the nature of gender issues. We would spend time writing about inclusivity. We'd spend time about intersectionality. All these other social things going on. But what was going on when the catechism was being written was trying to grasp a proper understanding of Christ's presence at the Lord's Supper. That was the issue of the day. And it remains an issue today. In the time of the Reformation, it was an issue that was a divisive point between the Protestant churches and the Roman Catholic Church, and it remains the same today. A different understanding of the presence of Christ at the table of the Lord. Questions were asked about Jesus as the bread of life and his blood, be, his, his blood being the wine, wine being the blood, already back in the New Testament times. Already in the book of John and John chapter 6, we see Jesus describing himself as bread of life, eating his body, drinking his blood, and the Jews were confused back then already. It's been a source of confusion throughout time. What does it mean to eat the body of Christ? What does it mean to drink his blood? And so just as in Jesus' time there was need for instruction, in the time of the Reformation there was need for instruction, so in our day today there is need for instruction. What is it we do when we come to the table of the Lord? What is it we mean when we say Jesus is the bread of of life. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I have a bit of a confession, and it's a bit of an embarrassing one. I am slightly out of practice, I think, because I haven't been here for a while. At least it seems like that to me. Maybe, not, maybe you haven't missed me, but it seems like that to me. And so the outline that you have this morning, uh, at my own fault, is incorrect. This is the outline from the last sermon I preached for you. Uh, so I did not bother correcting that. I'll get back into the habit of things, I promise. I'll get back into the swing of things. This morning, the three points for the outline regarding Jesus, the bread of life. Point one, present at the supper. Jesus is present at the supper. Point two, Jesus, the bread of life, signified in the language. Signifying the language that we use. 
And then third, Jesus is the bread of life, assured in the symbol. Assured in the symbol. Again, that was not Michelle's fault. That was my, my fault. Now, children, that's the outline that I gave. But if you want to know very simply, kids, if you want to know very simply what's the sermon about this morning, it's all in the title. The first point is about Jesus. The second point is about bread. And the last point is about life. Jesus, the bread of life. So when you go home today and around the dinner table, mom and dad ask you, what did Reverend Nehemiah preach about this morning? You know the answer. You can tell mom and dad, he preached about Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus, the bread of life is present when we come to the Lord's table. Now that, that statement was not in dispute in the Reformation and is not in dispute today. All Protestants and all Catholics confess Jesus is present at the table. The question is, how is he present? In what way is Jesus present at the supper? And, and the Roman Catholic Church in the time of the Reformation and still today uh, teaches that Jesus is present actually in the substance of the bread and the wine. For those of you who like big theological words, the word is transubstantiation. There's a change of substance. The bread and the wine actually become the body and blood of Christ. And before we're too critical of that, we have to say that, that they are certainly taking Jesus at his word. Because he said in the institution of the supper, this is my body. And so our Catholic friends say, look, Jesus himself said, this is my body. We might have to think just a little bit more about that. What did Jesus do when he said that? He took bread. He didn't take a piece of his body. He took bread to say, this is my body. In the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine do not become the body of Christ. Jesus is not, shall we say, actually present, physically present in the Supper. There's no mystical transformation that takes place as the host is elevated, that it becomes the body and blood of Christ. Jesus is not present actually, as the Roman Catholic Church would teach. The Lutheran Church, again, from which the Catechism distinguishes us, uh, also talked about the nature of Jesus' presence at the Supper and, and still wanted in some way to have Jesus actually present. Now, they did not say that the substance changes into the body and blood of Christ. But they use the term consubstantiation with the substance. Christ is so conjoined with the elements 
that we use the phrase, he is in, with, and under the bread and wine. He's conjoined in that way. Not actually his body, but still in a real way. They would say Christ is present physically in, with, and under the bread. We do not hold that position when we talk about how is Christ present. We do not talk about Christ's physical presence at the table of the Lord. But we speak of his spiritual presence. And that's why it's appropriate today on Pentecost to be talking about the nature of Christ's presence at the Lord's Supper. He is there spiritually. He is there by the power of His Holy Spirit. Some of you recognize the name, if I say the name John Calvin, as a theologian who we give a lot of reverence to, as someone who is a very clear thinker in our own Protestant tradition. John Calvin was called the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't often today connect Calvinism and the Holy Spirit. We connect Pentecostalism and the Holy Spirit. But Calvin was referred to as the theologian of the Holy Spirit, particularly because of his understanding of Christ's presence at the Supper. Not physically present, but spiritually present. You say, well, what, what, what difference does it make? Is it really that big of a deal? Why does the Catechism spend three Lord's Days, these long questions and answers? What's the big deal about how Christ is present? When we say that Christ is physically present in the elements, what we are doing is we are taking Christ and pulling him down from heaven to have him come and commune here on earth with us. If he is physically present, that's what's going on. We are pulling Christ down from heaven. That's not what's happening at the supper. At the supper, we are not pulling Christ down to be present with us. He is spiritually lifting us up to heaven. We commune with him where he is. Where is Christ now, children? He is in heaven. And so he in the supper spiritually lifts us up to be with him there. That's what difference it makes. Christ's spiritual presence. Jesus, the bread of life, lifting us up to him. I say he's not... He's not actually present, but he certainly is really present. Really present by the power of his Spirit. He's not just present because we remember him. Now, Jesus told us, do this supper in remembrance of me. But he's not only there because we remember what took place. He is there by the power of his Spirit to lift us up to heaven, to commune with him there. Jesus, the bread of life, present in the supper. The language that we use to talk about Jesus and the nature of the bread, his body. Jesus talks about that in John chapter 6. Look at verse 48. I am the bread of life. Verse 55. For my flesh is true food 
and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Is there any wonder that the early church was accused of being cannibals? That was an accusation brought against them. You eat flesh. You drink blood. That's what you say. It's the body of Christ. It's the blood of Christ. They were accused of being cannibals. Jesus uses this very striking language. But we recall it is sacramental language. We talked about that a couple weeks ago when we talked about baptism. Sacramental language. In sacramental language, one speaks of the sign as if it is the thing signified. And that's what's going on. Just like in baptism, we read that baptism saves, the water of baptism saves, even though it's only external, we attribute to the sign that which is true of that which is signified. We call it the body of Christ, this is my body, that's attributed to the sign when in reality it is that which is signified, the body and blood of Christ. Bread, children, is a picture, a sign of the body of Christ, a real sign. Something we can see, something we can taste, something we can touch, something we can smell. It's, it's, it's that which engages us in our senses. And so our, our catechism asks the question in, uh, in 78, do the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? That was the question of the day. Do they become the body and blood of Christ? No. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood, and does not itself wash away sins, but is simply a divine sign and assurance of these things, so too the holy bread of the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, even though it is called the body of Christ, in, keech, in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. So it doesn't trouble us to call the bread the body of Christ. It is that real food God has given to us, that real spiritual food which he provides. And it is necessary food. Verse 53 of our text. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ is necessary for us, and our confession recognizes that in 79. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood? Christ has good reason for this. He wants to teach us that just as bread and wine nourish the temporal life, so too his crucified body and poured out blood are true food and drink for our souls for eternal life. True food, true drink, a reminder of the necessity of feeding on Christ. Just like it's necessary for us to feed physically, we must feed spiritually upon the body and blood of Christ, the true bread from heaven. Jesus makes reference to that, verse 48. It says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven 
so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus makes the comparison between him as the bread of life and the manna God provided. Remember that story, children? How God gave manna in the wilderness? Israel was out in the wilderness, needed something to eat, and in the morning they woke up and all around them on the ground they found this this bread, this manna, and they could take it and they could eat it and they could be strengthened. Imagine how great that was for them in the desert in the wilderness and god provides bread all around wouldn't it be something if god did that tomorrow kids if you woke up tomorrow morning and you walked out your front door and you looked and there was bread bread from heaven bread from god laying all around and you could pick it up and you could eat it what a great thing that would be. Well, maybe not. Because Jesus said, in the wilderness, they ate the manna and they died. That bread was only temporary. That bread was only a picture. We have a more glorious gift from God a more glorious bread from heaven as he sends his own son. Again, from verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. As glorious as it would be to see manna outside our door tomorrow morning, God has given us something even greater. The living bread. Jesus Christ, who comes down from heaven. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus, the bread of life, symbolized in that, in that picture. Jesus, our our hope for eternal life, our only hope for eternal life. Jesus speaks about the necessity. You must eat my body. You must drink my blood. I'm the only place you will find satisfaction in this life and the life to come. I am the only source of that true bread. And that is the same today. Jesus Christ is the only source, the only hope we have for life now and for life later. He is an exclusive Savior. He is the only Savior. All who would know life must come to Him, must feed on His body, must drink His blood. That striking language, speaking of being united with Him, and that's why the call of the gospel is that exclusive call. Don't look anywhere else. Look only to Jesus Christ. He calls you this morning to put your trust in Him alone. Not Him and everything else. Put your trust in Him alone for salvation. Feed on Him alone. And know the assurance of life eternal. Jesus, the bread of life. He gives life to His people. We are assured of that in the symbol that he gives. Verse 54, 
You read, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Eternal life. That's what we have when we are communing with Jesus. Life eternally. Oh, we know we will physically die at some point, but we will forever then be with the Lord. That is our assurance as we stand at the graveside. This is not the end. But our loved one who has known the Lord throughout their lives is now still with the Lord. Enjoying the banquet feast. Revelation speaks about a banquet feast that, that, that is had for God's people. That language of banquet really fits with, with what's going on here in John chapter 6. We didn't read earlier in the chapter, but the context of this chapter is Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this particular miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is the only one that's recorded in each one of the four Gospels. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Again, how amazing that would be! 5,000 people fed with a few bread and a few fish, and they have plenty left over. And it's as if Jesus is saying, you know, that's the context. You've seen me feed 5,000. You ain't seen nothing yet. My body is true bread, true life, life eternal. Yeah, you were fed a lunch today, but eternal life coming from a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is so much more, more than just the physical. And our confession picks that up in, in 79. But more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance, and that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. We are united to Christ. His suffering is ours. He suffered for our lack of obedience. He suffered for our sins, and we are linked with Him. He has taken that suffering away from us. He was obedient for us. The obedience we could not offer, He offered perfectly. And as we commune with Him in the sacrament, we are reminded we are linked with Christ. We have life eternal. Life eternal and life for today. The blessings of belonging to Christ are not only for the future. Sometimes people will say to me, you know, how can I know? How can I know that I'm going to be with Jesus after this life? Do we have to wait till we die to find out? When anyone asks that question, I take them to John 6 and verse 47. John 6 verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. Jesus does not say whoever believes might have eternal life. He doesn't even say whoever believes will have eternal life. If you believe, you have eternal life now. You can be absolutely assured you belong to Christ now and will belong to Him in eternity. You don't have to wait till you die to find out what's going to happen if it's all been true. Whoever believes has eternal 
life. Right now, we are assured that we belong to God. Right now, we are assured that Christ is our Savior. We believe in Him because the Holy Spirit grants us that gift of faith and believing. We, right now, have eternal life. Jesus says, verse 56, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I abide in him. Right now, we abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. He assures us. He gives us hope. He gives us strength. He gives us comfort because Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He is spiritually present when we come to the table. He is that necessary food and drink for life eternal. And He is that one who makes the glorious promise, not only for times to come, but the promise right now. We belong to Him. We have eternal life now because we believe He is the bread of life. Let's join together for prayer. Lord God, we thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we try to understand the mystery of the sacrament, we confess our inability to fully grasp what you give us there. And yet from your word we know. We know that Jesus is the one and only true bread. He is that one and only who gives real life now and forever. Lord God, move our hearts to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to embrace him more and more as our food, as our drink, unto life eternal. Hear our prayer. For Jesus' sake, amen.